0: Welcome to an Ernie Ball podcast. It starts now. Hello, this is Evan Ball. Welcome to Striking a Chord, a podcast presented by Ernie Ball. In this episode, we're joined by Steve Morse. We caught up with Steve before a Deep Purple show at the Warfield in San Francisco. And to record a podcast in this kind of environment, you kind of have to improvise a little bit, go with the flow. The venue was quite lively with busy people all around, but we eventually found a spot to do the podcast in the deep, dark depths of the Warfield basement. There was a, a big fan or piece of machinery nearby that you might hear. And after finding this relatively quiet cave we realized there were no power outlets in sight. Somehow, we found a couple extension chords, one of which ended up being bad and a little buzzy in the beginning. All this to say, the sound isn't quite studio quality, but what matters is that Steve was kind enough to fit us into a busy pre-show schedule, impart some wisdom, and share his story with us. All right, this was a fun interview for me because Steve Morris has been such a big part of the Ernie Ball family for so long. I grew up hearing Steve Morris play quite a bit, we referenced the band Biff Baby's All-Stars in the podcast. For some clarity, Biff Baby refers to my uncle Sterling Ball, who assembled the band, and Steve Morris was a mainstay on guitar for Biff Baby's All-Stars. which is kind of a fun band, but with top-notch musicianship. But as an aspiring guitar player, I was in total awe watching Steve Morris and Albert Lee trade improvised solos. All right. Steve Morse has quite a resume. He first came on the scene in the 70s with the Dixie Dregs, total trailblazers in instrumental music. In 1985, we get the Steve Morse Band. Around this time, he's also playing with Kansas. Since 1994, he's been the guitar player for Deep Purple. He's also the guitarist of Flying Colors. Very prolific and very influential for so many guitar players. In the 1980s, Steve was voted best overall guitar player five years in a row in Guitar Player magazine, rendering him ineligible in that category going forward. Okay, in this episode, we'll talk about how Steve got his start playing guitar, how he never conformed to popular pressures in his music. I think he deserves a whole lot of credit for the existence of an instrumental rock guitar genre. We talk about the thought process behind his signature Music Man guitar. We talk about the album he's most proud of and the mindset that helped to create it. And also, some of his worst experiences on stage. Don't miss it. So without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, Steve Morris. Steve Morris, welcome to the podcast.
1: (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Thanks for having me. How did you get started playing guitar? Well, it was... A lot of different things, actually. I was I played whatever instrument I could get my hands on as a kid with about the same interest as, as I had, you know, in trying my friend's unicycle or something like that. You know, I was just a kid. that liked toys. However, in, in school, we had to be in the band because my brother played clarinet. And therefore, our family owned a clarinet. That meant that I had to play the clarinet. And then they would tell the band teacher at school, and he'd say... Steve Moore, so how about, why don't you try clarinet? I said, that's weird. We have one. <laughs> you know, what an odd coincidence. Yes. Anyway, so I, pl- I played it, I, I sort of hated it because it wasn't a polyphonic instrument. You didn't have any, any. Um, it took a lot of work to get a, any kind of tone out of it. And the music we played was, just didn't appeal to me. You know, it was a, like a elementary school marching band kind of thing. So anyway, My brother started taking a few lessons with acoustic guitar and he left it laying around. And me being a normal little brother, I investigated and tried it out and thought it was pretty cool. Right about that time, the Beatles were on TV playing live on Ed Sullivan and they sounded absolutely incredible. And just suddenly seemed like guitar was a lot more appealing than clarinet. So I made a big uh, drive to get that happening and involved mowing more lawns than I had been doing in order to, to pay for the lessons. But uh, we rented a guitar for about a year and I, I used that rented guitar to sort of learn to play, you know, rhythm stuff. And from then, you know, I, I just never stopped.
0: How quickly did you know that you excelled on the guitar?
1: Well, as as a kid, as a kid of two psychologists and my, my father was also a minister. I knew that everyone has their gifts, and you know, it's, it's great if you can find them while, you know, before it's too late. And I knew that my sort of mathematical mind would help me with music, and I knew that I enjoyed being alive. That helps you with music. So, oddly enough, as a, as a kid, about 12-year-old kid, I figured that my life was gonna turn out pretty close to the way it did. In other words, I said, I'm gonna be able to learn this, I'm gonna be able to do it, and there's gonna be people that hate it and people that like it. And the music I like is gonna go out of fashion, and other music is gonna be popular, but I'm still gonna be able to make a living, I think, as long as I work hard at it. And sure enough, that's exactly what happened.
0: Was it clear that you just could do it easier or was it were you obsessive
1: about it was it work ethic just like taking a college course here's the material learn it re- be able to recall it in different ways without looking at it and then suddenly you know it that doesn't address the artistic aspect of it but sure. it at least gets you to the point where you can play yeah and 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 figure out things yeah so yeah i i, I approached it very i guess just naturally you know just when you're a kid and you're in school anyway you just see everything as, I don't know how to do this, but I know I will know how to do it if yeah. I keep at it.
0: Yeah. So listening to your music, it's, it's kind of hard to pin down exactly who you're, you're influenced by. So who was, say, teenage Steve Morris listening to?
1: Oh, it, my poor parents, because <laughs> we didn't have headphones then. The family stereo was the place, and the family stereo was mono when I first started playing, so that was in the basement so that's that's how they they had hopes of you know keeping their sanity by putting the the record player in the basement but it was the who rolling stones yardbirds and then as i got older hendrix clapton with cream uh, jeff beck uh, with anybody and uh, of course jimmy page when he broke out with led zeppelin and i heard jimmy page with yardbirds and and as a session guy on on records but i think that really spoke to me and then later when i went into college i was still a teenager and Mavish new orchestra john mclaughlin really helped show me a path i was at a a music school and i was too rock for the jazz department and too weird for the classical guitar department (laughs) and not country enough to be in nashville but too country to be accepted by rock and rollers so you know, it's so all the way around. I, I was sort of hence the Dixie hitting. Dregs. Yeah, exactly. That's that's what happened. <laughs> it became the outlet. Did the Dixie Dregs at least a name start in high school? It, we we had a band with my brother playing drums. The same one that that, that I yeah. you know picked up his guitar that he was renting. Our band was called Dixie Grit, and you know none of us were really southern southern guys. You know, and we just yeah. thought it was funny. Yeah. As you know, just imagine that. You know, like fart jokes or something. It was just <laughs> it was just something funny. Dixie yeah. Grit, Ha ah, ha that's funny. It uh-huh. just made us laugh. So when that band broke up, because you know, we had a hard time getting gigs, and when we did get gigs, people wanted a dance band that played covers and we we were trying to play original stuff. But we had a we had a singer, Frank fittingham who's a really good singer, really good musician. He played guitar too. But after the band broke up, Andy West and I were the only ones left that still wanted to do something. And I said, why don't we do some instrumental stuff? Because I've been, you know, studying Bach and Beethoven and everything, yeah. And wanted to 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 write more instrumental stuff. And I just knew, you know, it was going to be weird, and you know, no one would dance to it, and everybody would hate it, but it would be really cool. And Andy was the same way as me. So he's like, yeah, let's do that. He said we could call it the Dixie Dregs, and we both fell over laughing because dregs are the leftovers of what's left at the bottom of say a, a wine barrel or something. Sure. And we would be the leftovers from Dixie Grit, so we just thought it was funny. And you know, over the years, people try to write in all kinds of intentions to our name and and things that that were never part of it. We were just we just thought it was a funny name. Right,
0: right. It seems like a to me like a bold or a novel move to not bring a singer. in at that point, was was there much instrumental guitar music at that point, or were, no. were you following in anyone's footsteps? No, no
1: it was. It was not something you did if you wanted to work. In fact, I remember meeting with a, a big time in Atlanta. Atlanta was the big city in Georgia. We were in Augusta, Georgia. And this guy from Atlanta came all the way to hear us. He said, love you guys, love you guys. When you get a singer and you can do some covers, I got work for you, as many gigs as you want. And yeah. we are like, oh my god. And they just kind of looked at me and I said, sorry guys. We, we've got to do this. We've got to carry this through, you know. Yeah.
0: Were you aware of an instrumental rock genre sort of forming slowly? I mean, I don't know. You must have been. It wasn't forming of it. then. I mean, uh, later this this genre sort of forms, right? Well, there was
1: always instrumental jazz Okay. and Chick and you know Chick with Al Di yeah. when when they did that stuff. And uh, again, Mahavishnu Orchestra. That was a more jazzy uh, yeah. offshoot, but but with a lot, of, a lot of rock elements. You know that 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 fiery sound. Yeah. So we were the only instrumental rock band that I knew about yeah. at the time. But we also, you know, did like Beethoven uh, bits. You know, from Clockwork Orange had just come out. We were doing uh, bits of of the Clockwork Orange soundtrack, and uh, and just weird stuff, like you know, a, a country tune that, that a bluegrass type of tune that I wrote just and it was just because it was funny and we we tried not to take everything too seriously even though the practice was serious and it was and I, and I was like really intense about everybody learning their part when it came to performing i thought it should be fun and that the audience should have a good time too and i noticed that when we did the bluegrass stuff people just stood up and went crazy so i was like let's keep this in let's let's i like it they like it let's do it yeah and and it, all it did was you know of course alienated us you know the Prague uh, things that later came out—they would never include us because we were yeah. too weird, and obviously not rock enough for rock because we had different influences. Way too weird for jazz, classical—forget it. They wouldn't even talk to us. And country was just kind of scratching their heads, you know. <laughs> but later on, bands like Leonard Skinner and 38th Special turned out to be our, our friends in Atlanta when we moved, when we lived there, and and yeah. they they could relate to us. Like, yeah, man, it's what's it's not so hard. Just put a few things together, mix it up.
0: Yeah. All right, so you've been with Deep Purple for quite a while, longer than any guitar player has been with Deep Purple. People might not realize that. 25 you've
1: plus. 25 yeah.
0: plus years. Wow recorded, I think, six studio albums with them. You're well integrated into the band at this point. But, but I've heard there was a point early on where there was like a handful of fans who were kind of unaccepting of a new guitar player. Do you have any, do you have oh, any fun stories
1: of that era? It was a big fan handful. It was a very big handful. In fact, some of the handful had handfuls of stuff to throw at me at the, at the first year, especially when we went to uh, England. They were just mad as hell that I was there, not realizing that, wow. well, Richie had left. And Joe Satriani had already finished that tour the year before. And before, when Richie had had, uh, left the band many years ago, I wasn't the first American guitarist. I was at the
0: third. Okay. So you were actually dodging physical objects in the Oh, yeah.
1: And one time, I just remember, you know, when the lights are on, you don't see what's beyond the lights or what's outside of the field of light. And then suddenly, in your near vision, you see something hurtling toward you. I ducked. And this bottle hit John Lord in the head, and I felt so bad. It was like, I mean, I—it's involuntary, you <laughs> no, know. When, of course when, not.
0: It's flying towards you.
1: Yeah, it's yeah. I mean, and, and it happened in, in less than a half a second. That—that that was the point. Gillen got so mad; he was literally ready to just go out there and kill somebody. But we—we we just didn't see who it was. Yeah. So after that, we kept kept sort of a you know a lookout. Yeah. for for troublemakers
0: not to dwell on this era wasn't there a guy who was spitting too oh the spitting
1: <laughs> South America in Chile he was spitting at me every time I would come up front to do a solo and uh, my eyes were closed involuntarily because that's the way I, you know I play like just naturally like because I'm into the music and I, I don't have any poses or any kind of idea what I look like and when I see pictures I you know it's it's very weird what I look like but I was just playing, and he would. The last song, he spit into my mouth because I was just like, you know, my mouth was open. I'm cringing and acting like it's so painful to play, but in reality, I'm trying as hard as I can to play the perfect thing. Yeah, and and really going for it and really reaching for it. Anyway, this lands in my mouth suddenly, like like if there was a movie soundtrack, you'd hear the record being, written, you know, the needle being scratched across the record, and then <laughs> the music suddenly stops. Yeah, and just these glaring eyes and I made finally made eye contact with the guy and he was pointing to himself all proudly yeah it was me anyway when we finished at the very end from the audience it looked like this, the guitarist did a stage dive into the audience and they were <laughs> clapping and applauding the guitarist appeared to have outstretched hands directed toward <laughs> this guy's neck while the crowd and the security guys sort of floated me back prevented me from making contact and the next thing I knew I was thrown back off stage and the whole place erupts in applause like this guy is awesome he loves us
0: (laughs) because they thought it was a stage dive all (laughs) time
1: because and they didn't realize I I had like a a moment of of, uh, you know contemplating murder
0: (laughs) it would have felt good to to maybe pop the guy but oh
1: oh there is no there is no rhyme or reason to when when that when you're that mad there's just nothing left that's
0: Understandable. That's that's pretty gross. Some some stinky guy in the audience spitting in my mouth.
1: Yeah, I mean that's different from somebody cutting you off on the freeway. I'm sorry. (laughs) No, that's
0: yeah, that's gross. All right, let's take a quick break. Then I want to come back and ask you about your history with Ernie Ball. Going on now at Guitar Center, the Ernie Ball Great Gear Giveaway, where one lucky winner will win over $50,000 in prizes from Ernie Ball Music Man, SKB, Electro Voice, Pedal Train, Vic Firth, Latin Percussion, Zildjian, Tune Track, Guitar Center, DNA Guitar Gear, DW, Remo, TC Electronic, Blue Microphone, Universal Audio, Ampeg, Orange Amplifiers, JHS Pedals, Korg, Martin Guitar, and... Ernie Ball. To enter, find codes inside select packs of Ernie Ball strings in Guitar Center stores and at GuitarCenter.com between now and October 30th, 2019. U.S. residents only. Visit ErnieBall.com slash Great Gear Giveaway for full official rules. Ernie Ball presents the Great Gear Giveaway going on now only at Guitar Center. Thinking back as a kid, I feel like you and Albert Lee have just always been part of the Ernie Ball family, but obviously it started at, at some point, so how did that relationship start?
1: Well, your dad. All right. And that that was that was a big part of it. I was I was working at a NAMM show, and back then musicians w- who did demos for NAMM shows, at least none that I knew of got paid. You basically played and you know hoped to get a piece of equipment or something out of okay. it. Okay. And I was I was working for Lexicon, demoing some of their uh, delays and reverbs. Okay. And I, you know, and I used the stuff, but I needed a volume pedal cuz something happened to mine. And I was using the volume pedal to control the delay through a second amp, and that was that was the whole demo. Is that watch what happens when I press on this pedal? The sound opens up and it gets bigger, and it's and it's a multiple delay. Anyway, the the idea was that I was demoing this delay. My my volume pedal wasn't working, so nearby was Ernie Ball booth, and David was just so, just so friendly, David Ball, and I talked to him. He said. Um, yeah, actually, we make a volume pedal, and uh, introduced me to everybody, and here's all these brothers hanging out with their dad, talking to their dad like he's one of the guys. And it was really awesome. And Sterling comes over and says, hey, Ern, can we give, give this guy a pedal or something like that?
0: <laughs> wow.
1: And, and, you know, I heard something, we can lend him a pedal, and, you know, it's part of your stock. And yeah. so I went away with a, a set of Ernie Ball strings and a volume pedal that I could use for the, for the rest of the demo. And I was just really impressed with the atmosphere and the fact that they made this high-quality brand with such a, I guess, a blend between casual and hard work. And I really liked that. I liked every, I liked all the Ball Brothers right away. Those, that would be your dad and uncles. Mm-hmm. And uh, we ended up playing with, with uh, well, with all three.
0: Yeah. With, are you referring to Bit Baby's All-Stars? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, some of my favorite musical memories are... Watching you and Albert Lee go back and forth on solos as an aspiring guitar player, I was just so content, happy, and, and uh, fixated on that. So. Yeah,
1: Albert's a freak. He, he's one of these guys that I don't know what I do, I just do it. You know, <laughs> one of those kind of guys yeah. who could he just he just has natural talent yeah. and can always play a great improvised solo without even trying.
0: Such a, such a fun pairing, you yeah. two guys. So the signature model, you have a Music Man signature model, obviously you have for a while. Before that, you were playing some sort of like telly body with four pickups and some kind of neck. Oh yeah. What, what, what did you bring over from that to the signature model? And then what did you also add to it?
1: I brought everything I could because I liked the, the combination of the humbucking and the single coil pickups. And I liked having a lightweight guitar that balanced well on, you know, because I practiced a lot, maybe too much, but anyway, I needed a guitar that 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 sounded great, and I I needed the same scale length because you know, going back and forth between a Gibson and a Fender, I I discovered that the longer the string is, the more harmonics, and and the more you know, the easier it is to control those harmonics, uh, and and the brightness and the texture, so we kept those the the spacing the music man at the time had this easy to access truss or their dudley put you know the the, the star wheel mm-hmm. that that adjusts the truss rod and i love that i said that's gotta stay yeah but how many frets can we put on it and still keep the the neck pickup in the right place oh yeah and it turned out to be 22. so my guitar my fender was 21 and we went to 22 and i liked the rosewood neck the rosewood fingerboard sorry because you know playing lots of sweaty gigs there's no there's no better wood yeah to, because you can still grab on the strings better with a rosewood neck and so the headstock that that was proposed i just looked at it and said well this is even better the strings have straight pulls. The 4 and 2 and that we don't have to have a string tree on the high strings like yeah. because they're so far away, yeah. like I did on the Fender. I said, that, that was a, a, a cause of some tuning problems. And I said, this is great. And Sterling and, and um, Dudley are like, well, what kind of frets do you want? Well, hey, I'd like these jumble frets like I've, I've gotten used to. And let's... it went on and on and on. And the bolt-on neck was really fine with me. And I liked the fact that you could shim it if you had to. We made one change in the uh, mechanics where the, where the neck bolts on, it was six wood screws with a plate for the heel instead of four for the fender. So I thought that was a good improvement and there was just more rigidity and torsion. Later on when I broke my wrist, I discovered with a cast on, on my left wrist, I couldn't play a Deep Purple gig that I was about to go to when I got my cast on. So I ground down the edge of the heel on my grinder between gigs on my way from Miami to Atlanta. I mean, I literally took the plane that I was flying the band in and landed at home and went to the grinder and just ground it down.
0: And that's on this guitar right here, right?
1: And also drilled holes in my cast and cut into my arm because I was doing it in a hurry. But the holes were to to ventilate. So we like the the neck now. Everything's perfect with the neck. Now going to the pickups, they agreed to use the pickups that, that I had, had already had made from, from DiMarzio, which I thought was awesome. And they made some improvements in the wiring, uh, better pots, and the stoptail piece was much better than on my, yeah. on my homemade one. The finish was awesome. And the only reason mine looks as worn as it does is because it's been through, you know, like we played outside in Typhoons, and I'm not exaggerating, where it was so... So much it was like playing in the shower. We played until our equipment wouldn't work, and when we brought out more equipment to play with that, until it wouldn't wouldn't work. We played in snowstorms, outside in a snowstorm. Yes, this guitar has been through it all. It's been to every gig. I carry it everywhere with me.
0: Yeah, that 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 one's got some wear and tear. So yeah. clearly, that's your favorite. Oh yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. It's 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 just what you get used to. But they yeah. they paid attention to the wood weight. Everything, they did suspend the pickups from the pickguard like I, basically like I wanted. Everything turned out just about perfect. And then when I put it on and let go, it balances perfect on my leg. I said, wow, okay, this is meant to be.
0: Yeah. So apart from guitar, what are some things you enjoy doing? Hobbies or interests? Even favorite TV shows maybe?
1: We have a handicapped daughter who is pretty much just, has to dwell in the house she's wheelchair-bound or crawling on the floor. And she has total control over the TV in okay. the main room. Yeah, we have, we have a simple house with the main room and bedrooms around it. Yeah. So it's whatever she wants. You know, late at night I might put on uh, you know, those car things. Or during motocross season I watch all the motocross races. Mm. And uh, those those are my favorite things to watch. But uh, my hobbies are flying. I do try to do that every day. And, and I am the only person that does the farm, you know, we have a hay farm, so I have to cut, bale, ted the hay, rake it, uh, store it, deliver it, and maintain the equipment. A lot of it's old equipment. So it, it teaches me a lot about things. I'm, I love mechanics in general, so I like most of the problems that I get to solve, but some of them are just really, really hard.
0: What's well, amazing you have enough time to pull off all your bands
1: with running oh, a hay farm well, too. Well yeah, just I stay busy. I, yeah. I I've never been bored. So when I have time off, you know, as far as looking at a schedule, it's never time off. I just I do sixteen hour days every day.
0: You have an album that you're most proud of?
1: I think high tension wires in a way was was the best thing because I'd basically given up being a musician for a living. It was the first time I'd done it actually. I didn't know that. Wow. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I thought well, I'm just going to record this music, and you know, I don't, I don't care anymore. I don't care at all what the record company likes, what the what the people want to buy, or what the market calls for. I'm going to do stuff that I want to do, and hopefully, there's some number of people that will buy the record, and I can do another one. That's all I was thinking about. Can I do one more? And so that 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 was great because you know you listen to it. There's there's no hits on it there's no anything but it's musically and writing wise and and uh, sound wise it's exactly what i was going for
0: yeah amazing album it's funny i was just talking to gretchen men and she was praising that album oh really yeah (laughs) yeah just how how important that album is to her all right Uh, are you on social media or where's a good place for people to find out what you're doing
1: um yeah, I have a sort of a presence on social media. My wife, you know, she's like, Steve, you need to do this, and I'm like, I, I can't. i I'm, I'm look, I'm busy and doing this and this. Yeah. So she'll she'll post stuff, and she loves music and loves loves the fans especially. She's very very good with people. So
0: and stevemorse.com? Yeah, I think so, but
1: think there's, so. there's there's some kind of Facebook, we'll, we'll link it in, the, in the show one. notes.
0: Okay, all right, great. Well, Steve, I'm looking forward to the Deep Purple show tonight thanks for being on the podcast
1: well thank you and thank you everybody for listening and for those of you who got some good sleep during this uh, the subliminal suggestion is about to be planted by the no (laughs) okay (laughs) thank you thanks
0: Thanks for listening to Striking a Chord To contact the show, you can email us at strikingacord at ernieball.com. And if you haven't already, hit subscribe, add, follow, whatever your podcast app requires to stay in the loop with future episodes. We've got some great guests coming up. Thanks again.
1: If any of you are listening and become big shots and there will be a big percentage of you who will and everyone here in the audience will become an expert at something when you have somebody come up to you just be polite and respectful if you ever think you're above anybody it's the end of your career it's slowly it's, it's one step toward the end of your career all the people that are my heroes are the people who were able to have some sense of humility By being humble, you strengthen yourself. You strengthen your approach to life. And you certainly help those you come in contact with.